Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Today, I talked to Indianapolis Council Majority Leader Maggie Lewis. She's a force of nature. When she's not winning elections and making policy, she's the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Indianapolis. We talked about how she balances both roles, what it's like to prepare to host the Olympic trials, and her commitment to ensuring equity in all services, including complete streets. She's broken many barriers. She was the first in her family to go to college, the first woman to serve as council president, and now as majority leader. Enjoy our conversation. Indianapolis Council Majority Leader Maggie Lewis, welcome to an honorable profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Hello. It's, I'm excited to be with you. Thanks for the invitation. So let's just first talk, how are things in Indianapolis right now? It's been an eventful couple of years for all of us in elective office. Uh, how are things going in your city and how are things going for you? We're like any other major metro. Overall, I feel like our city is thriving. We continue to thrive. Indianapolis is the heart and soul of Indiana, the heart and soul of Hoosier hospitality. And so we're thriving. We're doing what needs to be done to get things done. And again, we're a given community that that knows how to come together to tackle those difficult issues that, again, major cities are dealing with at this time. And what has been the impact of COVID? Are you seeing folks locate to Indianapolis to do remote work? Are you seeing your downtown less populated? And then how is the health of your community? So I feel like Indianapolis, Indiana is open for business. I feel like we've been able to navigate COVID extremely well. Again, as a community as a whole, I feel like the city and the state has really come together to ensure that Hoosiers are taken care of, Hoosiers are informed, that their basic needs were met. And so I feel like we did a really great job navigating COVID. I feel like the city is starting to open back up. Downtown is becoming a little bit more busier. There was a point where the streets were empty. But again, I feel like we've done a really great job of of navigating that. And our convention business has really been thriving. And our Visit Indy, our chamber has done a really great job of inviting people back to the state of Indiana. Let's talk about the state of Indiana. You're a blue dot in a red state. We've watched some really consequential Supreme Court decisions come down on choice, on climate. How are you responding, navigating those waters of being a blue city in a, in a conservative state? Yeah. And so 
I live this every day. And at times it feels unfortunate. And at this time, it feels very unfortunate to be this blue dot in the red state. However, we know the importance of our voice and advocating and truly coming together to make our thoughts and concerns known at the state house. Obviously, the state house is ran by the other party and they can do what they want. But at the end of the day, we feel it's important that we show up and express our concerns for other Hoosiers in this state, right? And so we have to show up. We have to keep pushing. We got to let our voices be known. We got to show up and testify. I feel like that's what we have to do. We can't just roll over and go along with what's being done or suggested. That's being suggested at this time. Absolutely. Have you seen other states, red states, we're seeing a real effort to limit local authority to set health and safety rules, climate rules, and beyond. Are you facing that in Indianapolis? We're facing that exact same thing. But again, we feel like we have to at least show up and and fight and express our concerns and advocate for those who don't have the voice or feel like they don't have the voice to do that, right? And so someone has to own this. I feel like we have to do that. Roll up our sleeves, show up. Last week, lots of Hoosiers showed up to testify. They weren't given the opportunity to do so. But again, We have to at least show up and let them know where we stand on these issues. Let's talk about how you found yourself in this position of showing up and leading with your community to testify on many of these issues and then make policy at the local level. How did you find yourself in elected office? Tell us a little bit about that journey. Yeah. So without sounding like I'm a thousand years old, (laughs) like way back when. So I've always been fascinated by politics, more so about policies than anything, but nothing about the way that I was raised or grew up said that Maggie Ann, you would someday run for public office. I, My mother was 16 when she had me. I watched her work two and three jobs to ensure that we had what we needed growing up. I went to five elementary schools within different cities. And so I feel like I'm a native of Indianapolis and a native of Columbus, Indiana, a small Southern town. But my mother was chasing jobs to ensure again that we had everything that we needed. Went off to college, first generation college graduate, moved to the great city of Indianapolis. Again, fascinated by policy and how to make things better in my community. I knew at an early age that I was called to serve, to do great things. My mother, even though she was young, she always told me that I was called to do big things, right? But never in my wildest dream did I think it would be politics. I was working in my neighborhood association, working with our local police department, doing neighborhood stuff, just doing things that any good citizen, if you will, would be doing worked the polls, drove elected officials around. And the opportunity came for me to run for office, public office. I was asked to do so. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm a shy gal. I'm good working in the background, helping people out, putting those yard signs out in the yards, encouraging folks to vote. I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. But again, I was asked to do this. Fast forward, I was like, okay, let me do what I do best, make a pros and con list. I spoke to a lot of people about it. At the end of the day, the only reason that I wasn't going to run for public office was because I was scared. I was afraid. And I knew in my heart, if that was the only reason that I wasn't going to run for public office, that I truly needed to just feel the fear, feel that pain and jump. And so I took my paperwork downtown, if you will, and said, "Okay, I'm ready to do this. And when I submitted my paperwork, I had no idea that there was 12 other individuals interested in the same seat. (laughs) 
I was like, surely this is not how this is supposed to work. But I won a special election and the rest is history. I had my first meeting in 2008, ran for my first time on a ballot was 2012, was for 2012. And at that time I was elected council president. So it happened pretty quickly. But again, I never in my wildest dream thought that I would be serving in this capacity. What advice do you have? Say I have a, we have a first generation undergrad student listening or somebody who, again, comes from a background of being interested in community service, but maybe not politics. What advice do you have as to start out or to begin to be an elected official and to be an advocate for their community? I really think it's about doing some homework, right? But then also getting plugged into those small coalitions, again, neighborhood associations, law enforcement task force, your party club. I was engaged in my in the Democrat Party Club for years, again, just helping out and working the polls to see exactly where I fit in. But what I will truly encourage folks to do, like, I don't believe that there's an ideal candidate or ideal person. If you feel led or called are enticed by policies and politics, you need to explore it. And if you feel like you want to run, you should run. I think everyone that wants to run should have the ability to get out there and run and share with the community how you plan on making that space better. Couldn't agree more. I always tell my students, they would be shocked at how few people get involved So if you just show up and put up some lawn signs and walk a neighborhood, you're in a fraction of a fraction of percent of the citizens and you start getting tapped for more and more responsibilities and and all kinds of opportunities. I truly believe that there's a place for everyone in this, right? Again, I think everybody plays a part in making our community better. Now, your day job is running the Boys and Girls Club. I don't know how you do both. We should talk about that. Those are two very, more than full-time jobs that you're doing at the same time. But can you talk a little bit about how the work overlaps or intersects between creating a place, a positive place for youth and some of your work on city council? Yeah. So first I am like thrilled. I mean, I'm not over-exaggerated. I am thrilled and honored to be able to serve at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Indianapolis. I was a club kid in a small town a thousand years ago. And for me to be able to serve in this capacity, I feel like my life has really done like this complete 360, if you will. I'm just in awe to be able to serve in this capacity. The Boys and Girls Clubs of Indianapolis, the Boys and Girls Clubs in general, believe that every child deserves to live a life full of hope and opportunity. Hope and opportunity. And we believe that we are willing and capable of doing whatever it takes to ensure that our young folks grow up to be successful citizens. Now, we don't define what that success looks like, but again, we want to ensure that we're providing them with the tools that they need to be successful adults, successful citizens. As a member of the City County Council, I believe my job is exactly that, right? While we're the fiscal agent, but we want to ensure that everyone is able to live a life full of hope and opportunity and have that quality of life that they're seeking, right? So I believe my work is all the same. I carry different titles, but at the end of the day, I want to ensure that everyone has access to basically a quality of life that they want, right? And my job is to come alongside them and ensure that they have those tools that they need. We've seen kids struggle across the country 
mental health issues, all the pressures they faced, and then COVID just exacerbated everything times a thousand. What do you think when you look at federal, state, local policy we could be doing to help our kids, you know, more, um, more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No. Be happier, healthier, all the things we want. Yeah. As a community, as a city, state, country, like we have to come alongside those organizations, those groups that really believe that their role is to support our youth, whether it's with substance abuse, mental health, the education gap, like we need to collectively support those individuals that are doing the work, the experts that are doing that work. We have to be comfortable partnering with non-traditional groups that have access to folks who maybe traditionally don't ask for help, right? Our kids that don't ask for that help. I feel like the money, like we have to be willing to partner and put the money in those organizations so that they can really serve our young folks. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I feel like right now we have to make an investment. We have to. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's it really is an investment in our youth, right? That next generation. If we don't invest in them now, we're going to lose them. Right. And so we've we've got to make an investment. And again, it's not, I tell folks all the time when it's time to give to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Indianapolis or any not-for-profit. It's not a donation. It is an investment. Couldn't agree more. And one that will pay off in the short term and long term. It's a long-term investment that can be multi-generational even if you get it right the first time. You've been a strong advocate for making a lot of other investments in your community. You have a complete streets initiative. You've been an advocate for affordable housing. Can you talk about what are your priorities while you serve in this role on the city council? Yeah. So again, I'm a social service provider at heart, right? That's what my career has been. That's where I love to serve. So I really like to focus on policies, again, that truly impacts quality of life. Now, while the city kind of council here in my great city don't necessarily have a direct impact on education, I feel like I can use my platform and my voice to advocate for quality education. If you want to change a young person's life, ensure that they have access to quality education. So I try to plug myself, use my voice as much as I can to advocate for good schools, regardless of the type, if it's a public school, charter school, you name it, quality seats for our young people is so important to me. Complete streets. Again, everyone's quality of life may be different or they may value it different or rank it differently, but having a sidewalk to get you to the grocery store to, to have sidewalks that get you to the bus stop where you're waiting for mass transit. Those are things that I feel like everyone should have the same, right? It should be accessible to everyone. So looking how we take care of our roads, our sidewalks, making sure that the streets are safe for walkers and bikers and making sure all of that is out front when we're making policy decisions is truly important to me, mass transit. And so I think transit really does change a city. I think you should be able to jump on 
a bus and get to any part of our city within a reasonable time. And again, mass transit shouldn't just be for low-income individuals. All of us should be able to get across town, get to our doctor's appointment, get to school without having to wait hours in and out for the bus to show up in your, your neighborhood. So I am a true champion of mass transit. And I feel like a city our size or a city the size of Indianapolis should have a more sophisticated transit system than what we have. And I know we're working towards that and made lots of great strides, but again, we can do so much more in that space. And so I'll continue to push for that. You got to have transportation. Absolutely. On those complete streets, in addition to folks getting to school and to the market, you may have marathoners. You're on the Olympic Trials Organizing Committee. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's probably something when you ran for office, you weren't thinking you'd have to be thinking about, but it's an incredible opportunity. Can you tell us what goes into being an Olympic Trials city and what's your role in that? So I'm on the committee and, you know, Indianapolis is known for hosting great events. You know, we did the Super Bowl. We did the Big Ten. Like we are known for putting on great events. And so when I talked about earlier us coming together, there's there's a whole committee of folks that are are coming together to figure out how to pull this event off and make sure it's successful for not only the swimmers, but also those that are coming to watch this, right? And participate in it. But then Taking it a step further, we want to ensure that this initiative has a lasting impact on our community. So we're talking about planning for a legacy project, right? How does this energy and excitement around the trials coming to our city continues for generations to come? And so, again, just all of us rolling up our sleeves and having a ton of meetings and talking about how to ensure that this is successful, this making sure that the space is amazing for those who are coming to our great city. But a lot of, I can't stress this, the planning, right? The planning and making sure we dot the I's and cross the T's. But again, I don't know anyone that does it better than the city of Indianapolis. I like it. And good luck. We look forward to, there's nothing more fun than than the Olympics and the Olympic trials where you get to see just so many amazing athletes in a short period of time. It's an amazing celebration. And when I talk about this legacy project and how my, you asked about how my roles often overlap, there's an opportunity for this initiative to reach out to black and brown kids who we know drown at a higher rate than any other young folks. And so can we, with this project, bring some awareness around swim safety, around swim lesson for those young folks who may not get that opportunity to get those lessons that they need and understand water safety. That's absolutely critical. And yeah, you're right, a unique opportunity while the while the spotlight and resources are there for sure. Switching from the Olympics to politics, uh, you just went through a redistricting process that was remarkably bipartisan. And in fact, I read it that some some even believe that it sort of favored the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think we all hear these days about hyperpartisan redistricting, but I'd be interested in in your experience. So I would say this about Indianapolis City County Council: the majority of our votes are passed 
I would say 98%, if not 99% of our votes are passed in a bipartisan manner. Very seldom do we find ourselves having votes that go right down party lines. I believe in this city, after the election, no one really cares. It's going to be hard for some folks to hear. No one really cares about which party you're representing, right? At the end of the day, are you picking up my trash? Are my roads drivable? So we really do a really good job of not being extremely partisan. And there's times, and you can Google that another day, where we are (laughs) extremely partisan and, and get crazy political. But we really try to do everything in a bipartisan manner. We have a mayor that believes that it's important that we work alongside the Republican Party. And so we've all just committed to doing what's best for the community. And when it came time for the maps, now I would not, I mean, I would be lying if I said there weren't people to say, okay, this is your opportunity to really draw maps that benefit your side of the aisle, right? But at the end of the day, Marion County is a pretty blue community. So there's no need for us to play with maps and and try to make it favorable for one individual, one group over the other. The, The numbers are what they are. So again, keeping with that tradition, we felt like it was important that we all worked alongside each other to have maps that we all could get out to the community and say like, these are legit maps. They don't necessarily favor any one person. We took all your thoughts, concerns into account when these maps were drawn. We had community meetings and we heard from folks who said, this district doesn't make sense. Like you're dividing our community, like cross the street over here. This is a part of our group and you have it in another district. And so we took all of that into account when these maps were drawn. Wouldn't it be nice if everyone operated like that? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> we try to leave my example, but at the end of the day, <laughs> not sure if that always works. <laughs> Maybe after the uh, Olympic trials, you can ho- host Maybe a redistricting institute or something. <laughs> Let everyone compete to draw fair districts for once. Yeah, but it it was a really good process. And again, it's a it was a process that all 25 members of the council, I believe, is they're, they're proud of and were able to cast those votes without any doubt. That's great. Your term is up in 2024, which seems far away, but is coming up quickly. Can you talk about what your future plans in local government may or may not be? Yeah, so that's a great question. And now I'm going to sound like a politician. I don't know what's next for me. I'm going to finish this term. And I'm often one of the last individuals who turn in my paperwork to actually put my name on the ballot. When I signed on for this position, like I am truly committed. I can count on one hand how many times I've missed a council meeting or a committee meeting. I've never missed a full city county council meeting since 2008. I believe this year was the first year that I missed a committee hearing. And so my commitment requires me to sit back and make sure that if I put my name on a ballot, that I can give this position, this community, everything I have, right? So at the end of the year, I'll go in the corner and chat with my family. I have a 16-year-old kiddo who will be a junior this year. I don't want to miss anything. So I'll I'll just have to pause and, and think about what's next. I truly love serving. I say it all the time. I feel like my calling is serving others. That's what I do best. That's what I'm, I'm good at. 
Now, numbers and all that good stuff, like I do it because it comes with my positions, my roles. But at the end of the day, I feel like my calling is serving others. And so I'll go back and figure out like what's next. But right now, honestly, I don't know what's next for me politically. I just know that I want to be able to continue to serve in some way, shape or form. Fair enough. I mean, I think we, we talked about how you have two full-time jobs. If you add campaigning in, now you're at three full-time jobs, exactly. which is no small, yeah. no small commitment to make. Right, right. But again, I, I am honored to serve and grateful for all the opportunity, opportunities that have come with me serving in, in this capacity. But again, I want to be able to assure that I can continue to give all that I can. That sounds more than fair. In our last question, we like to ask this of all of our guests is, I got 24 hours to come to, to Indianapolis. <laughs> what do you recommend I should do during that 24 hours to make the most of your city? To make the most of our city. What a great question. How come I didn't know this in advance? <laughs> but if you have 24 hours, depending on the season, I would say grab a Colts game, a Pacer game, Indy 500. You have to do a sporting event in our great city. You have to check out, I'm biased, the international marketplace is probably the most diverse community in the state of Indiana. You can feel like you're traveling the entire world by just going within a mile and a half radius. You name it, that restaurant, that storefront is in the international marketplace. If you want to try some great Food downtown is great, but also we have these pockets in our community that make you feel like you're somewhere else. We have Broad Ripple, who is a fun spot, lots of good food, lots of crazy energy. I would check out Fountain Square, one of those like kind of small little niche places just to get a feel for who we are and what we what we do. I love it. I'll try to be there for the trials, if not before. You make a compelling case and I'm already hungry just hearing you. Yeah. Again, I recognize that I'm a little biased, but no one does major events like the state of Indiana. The Hoosier hospitality and the ability to pull off these major events is what we do here. Well, Majority Leader Maggie Lewis, thank you for joining us on An Honorable Profession. Thank you for your work in the community with both your hats on for the working with the kids directly and then making policies for the kids and, and everybody else. You're a great New Deal leader, and we're so lucky to have you as part of the organization. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for the invitation. Thanks for listening to An Honorable Profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders. And keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcasts. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.